everyone to Fly Over Footy. You might be listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. We are here to talk about the Open Cup a little bit, and then we're going to lead you into the next Chicago Fire game. It's a bit of a doubleheader, if you will, at least as close to a doubleheader as you'll get in soccer. So uh, I've got the usual Matt Baker to join me here. Matt, uh, you've had a hard week, right? <laughs> it's been a long week, uh, uh, parental-wise. It's one of those weeks that you live to tell stories about. But I'm happy to be on this side of it. I'm happy to be talking about the Chicago Fire. Well, I'm happy to be talking about the second Chicago Fire game. I don't mm-hmm. think there's too much to be happy about talking about the first one. But it's always interesting when you get a double-leg matchup away and away. I don't think it's anything we expected when we entered the league and maybe never happen again. You never know. So might as well soak it in while we can, I guess. Yeah, it's an unusual situation, but it does happen in every country in the world um, sure. when it comes to soccer or every soccer country in the world. So it's a weird one, but, you know, mark it down as, you know, in the first season we got to do this away and away <laughs> uh, matchup with Chicago Fire because of the Open Cup. Um, but unfortunately, it's not one we're going to want to remember, as as Matt was alluding to there. Um, it was a 2-1 loss to the Chicago Fire. Not starting lineup, so I think there's going to be a little bit of difference between what we talk about in the game that happened and the game that will happen. Uh, but Matt, as usual, let's let's start with the starting lineup and, and dig into it. A little bit of a rotation that we had, but we still brought a strong lineup against the fire in our first game. And so it's going to be important to know what went right, what went wrong as we try to bounce back. So we started the Open Cup fire match with Ben Lunton, goal, Selmer Pedro, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, and Akil Watts were our back line. Miggy Perez and Edward Leuven were in the midfield. Isak Jensen, Aziel Jackson, Jared Stroud, and Celio Pompeu were our attackers in kind of a 4-4-2 where Isak Jensen was more up top with Celio Pompeu. It was tough to tell at times where he was and where he was lining up on the field, but Bradley Carnell confirmed in the press conference on Thursday that he did move Isak Jensen, playing him a little bit out of position from his uh, left wing, left mid role to be a little more up top with Celio Pompeu. And I think it kind of speaks to the commitment to the 4-4-2 or the 4-2-2-2, depending on how you look at it. And the the way that we oftentimes find success in our strikers playing off of each other and putting that pressure vertically, trying to find space vertically. I, I thought it was a decent lineup. You saw some good rotation from the, uh, the abandoned FC Dallas match where you had Tim Parker, uh, who was going to be suspended for this next fire game. You had Kyle Hebert. Um, Kyle Hebert sat that last game. Parker's not available. So you saw some guys who they're rested or they're going to be rested. And so you run them out. But then you also saw Miggy Perez. You saw Edward Leuven, guys, uh, Celio Pompeu, who they didn't play too many minutes. Uh, Leuven in general just is a workhorse. He never gets off the field. So it made sense to have somewhat of our half and half starting lineup, which kind of mirrored Chicago's. Um, and I thought it was smart of Carnell in particular to rest Hebert in the FC Dallas match. You obviously don't know that game's going to be abandoned and you're only going to play 51 minutes. But I'm interested on your thoughts, Phil, about you know how that lineup kind of came to fruition. And especially because you know we could see all of these guys this coming weekend against the fire in the second leg. It's been what, five days since Tuesday? That's a pretty full rest, so a lot of these guys should be available. Yeah, I think so. I think it's possible, um, and so I, I don't think we'll you know, feel weird about Leuven starting again, which is the one that I think we'll definitely be hoping the most for, but 
Um, you know, looking at, you know, Jensen at to- uh, playing up top, we did see him play there with City 2. It was about equally as effective, unfortunately, in that scenario. But looking at Jensen's frame and his style of play, him as a striker is not a strange thing at all. I thought that made sense. And, you know, there's that storyline that's been going for the last week of of Carnell starting guys who are with the hot hand, right? So we saw um, Pompeu there for that reason. I think Jackson got the start for that reason as well. Um, and I thought Jackson was playing more of a 10 role, but with that guy, like, who knows? Who cares? He does float a lot no matter. I'm not sure what his instructions are, but he does go all over the place. All over the place. I mean, there's no really stopping him. He didn't make a lot of movements to the left, which were commented on on social media, but he did cut in quite a bit from his starting position. Yeah, it's cool. He can make some moves. He can make guys miss. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that Leuven can kind of do. But, you know, the thing that Leuven can do after that is complete a pass. And and, and I think Jackson was a little rough in that regard. Um, I think in the last couple matches, even though he was successful against Omaha. Um, But Matt, I wanted to ask you one question. I know we're kind of backtracking a little here, but what were your thoughts about Hebert not starting against Dallas? And, And my question, maybe my thoughts were is, do you think Hebert is now behind? Um, why am I blanking on his name? Who started Bartlett? against Dallas? Bartlett, thank you. Yeah. Do you think he's no, behind Bartlett or? No, I, I think it was. Uh, and we talked before the FC Dallas match about Hebert being the one player last year for City 2 who started and played all 90 plus minutes in that week long stretch where we had mm-hmm. um, Next Pro, Open Cup, Next Pro. And so we, we thought he could do it again. But when you have the depth at center back that we have now, where Lucas Bartlett has started MLS matches. We know he is at least borderline at this level, where he can be relied on to partner with Tim Parker, and there's some um, familiarity and there's some comfort in having him in the lineup. I think it just provides that extra depth where you have the freedom to rest a Kyle Hebert. Mm. Uh, For the first time, he received rest when he's healthy and available so that he's ready to go for these next two matches. Uh, it was a tight turnaround from Saturday to Tuesday, so I didn't read anything into it more than it was just a, an ability to rest him, who doesn't, Kyle Hebert, who doesn't get much rest. Yeah, well, I want to come right back to that. Let's put a pin in that just for a second, because I'd like to start talking about the first goal that Chicago scored in the third freaking minute. Matt, yeah. you want to talk about it? And, and I think we have a bit of conversating to do about maybe how that went down. Well, Bradley Carnell was uh, very forthcoming in the disappointment and how they started the match. In the press conference on Thursday, he alluded to it seemed like guys were still in their headspace in the locker room, and it seemed like they weren't uh, fired up to start the game. And that was very obvious. If anybody goes and rewatches the match on uh, BR Football's YouTube page, the first three minutes are, it's not completely asleep at the wheel, but wow, are we on our back feet and we're not winning second chances. We're not winning aerial duels. We're giving up space. And in particular, uh, the way the goal was scored by Hale Salisi, the, it was a goal kick and then it was a header from us back to their end. And then it was a, I mean, a borderline violent header by uh, Mauricio Pineda who led uh, Hale Salisi in the most perfect spot and the thing that disappointed me is that Hale Selesi was right behind Pedro the entire time. While those headers were going by, Hale Selesi didn't move necessarily from right behind Pedro. He was, in my opinion, the way I saw Pedro at the time, Pedro's like, oh, this guy's in an offside position. So he's not attempting to, to play him on or to make sure that he's man marking him 
when he's right behind him. Now, Kyle Hebert was also next to him a, a few yards away, but when the ball was headed over by Pineda, it was uh, it was in a perfect spot that uh, Hale Selassie was off and running, mm-hmm. and there was no stopping him. He had a clear shot to goal, and it did catch a deflection, and I'm sure that helped, but the sheer fact of him being in that position to to outrun or outstretch our defense was incredibly disappointing. And the thing that I got got to me on the replay of that is Tim Parker kept him on side. Mm. Tim Parker, who is two defenders across, kept him on side. And that's not anything against Tim Parker necessarily. It's just the way the back line wasn't cohesive in that way. Like if you're Selmer Pedro, and at the time I was absolving Pedro of it, but I've kind of come to come around to think, okay, well, I asked Bradley Carnell today on that Thursday mm-hmm. about did he feel like there was a miscommunication on that back line the way the first goal happened. And he, he pressed me on it. And I said, okay, well, it seemed like Selmer Pedro was purposefully not playing him as deep as he should have, thinking that he was offside. And Carnell told me that, well, Selmer Pedro had the perfect line, line of sight to the rest of the back line, being that last defender across who has uh, an angle to see what that line looks like. And I, you can read that comment two ways, honestly. Mm. You could read it as if Carnell was saying I'm wrong and Pedro thought he was onside and had that side and, and he, everybody really thought he was offside. Or you could read it taking into co- consideration a comment that I asked again last week after the match about Selmer Pedro's performance. And Carnell was not very glowing in his his responses to Pedro about he still has he still has work to go. He still has to prove himself in training and, and keep fighting hard. And we're going to work with him. So coupling that comment post game with that that phrase about how Pedro had the perfect uh, line of sight, I'm not convinced that Carnell wasn't alluding to Pedro being at fault there. Okay, so I want to throw some other options out there. You know, please do. Saying that, I just went off. Yeah, no, I think that's quite possible. That is like we could say that's the end of the story. I think two other thoughts here. Um, I tend to be a guy where I'm not sure if it was any one person's fault because I think some things could have been done. First of all, the first I think the main thing we can say here is I agree with you that everyone was a bit on the back foot, felt like they hadn't woken up and really hit this game really uh, from the start, and so you saw Hebert step, which he's really good at. I think it's one of the things he's best at. He stepped really high upfield to get a header. And I'm curious whether if John Nelson was in this game, whether John Nelson would have slid over a little bit and backed up in case of, you know, seeing uh, Selassie there, perhaps he would have stepped back just to be more cautious, right? Just to make sure that we're covered in case someone forgets him. Um, Because I do think that's perhaps what happened is you know, Parker didn't look over there because that's pretty far away. Um, we saw Hebert step up and he kind of stayed up. That's what yeah. bothered me about Hebert. If you were to put any blame on Hebert is Hebert kind of stayed up thinking if they send a ball over the top, someone's got it. You know, perhaps Berkey would have come out of goal, which is quite possible. <laughs> um, or perhaps, again, this is something that perhaps we want to watch in the future. If you think about it while you're watching the game, if you see Hebert step what does John Nelson do normally? And so was this just a familiarity thing? Can we watch in the future to see would John Nelson have had his back? Meaning did, should Pedro have had his back? Or, mm. you know, in another day, if he was used to playing with Pedro, maybe he would have stepped, headed it, and ran back immediately to make damn sure that no one was going to get behind him. So just some thoughts to throw out there to some things to look in the future of. But, you know, a little bit of communication. Even Pedro saying, 
Hebert, Hebert, back up, back up. He's back. You know, man, yeah. you know, robber behind you or whatever. So I do think they just misplaced him and he got through on a, on a good ball. They caught us flat footed. Uh, but yeah. And the bummer of it all is we heard from Mickey Perez after the game, that goal early completely changed everything. The, the fire dropped back. They weren't pressing as hard. They weren't taking it to us as they were those first three minutes. So once they had that first goal, it's not a park the bus situation, but it definitely is fall back and uh, bunker down in a sense situation. Yeah. So it, and it didn't allow us to play how I think we're going to be able to play this Saturday, which is a little more free, a little more punch counter punch type thing where there's a lot more free flowingness to the game. If you, if you win those counterattacks or if you win those, uh, those second chances, you're creating the counterattacks. You're able to play your style because Chicago's style is very similar. We talked about what their style is on the on the Fallout show, which previewed the Open Cup, and it's very similar to us. So by Chicago scoring early, it kind of changed the entire thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost not even worth looking at a lot of the way that we played the rest of the game just because you look at possession numbers, like 57% possession of St. Louis. That's a byproduct of Chicago scoring that first goal and being able to say, all right, St. Louis, you take the ball and you do, you try to beat us now. You try to break through our lines. We don't have to. We already have the lead. We're good. And then you you see what happens in the second half. Uh, it, it's just you know a continuation of mistakes and trying to do too much with the ball and trying to be a little too fancy and, and getting caught way too deep in your own end. And so the mental lapse that happened in the second half by Lunt allowing the second goal is just Chicago making St. Louis work with the ball and, and putting the ball in dangerous spots, but never really having success with that. And so they're able to counterattack very well when they can pick and choose their opportunities and, and we're just trying to send the ball or not having success with getting the ball deep and creating chances. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was massive to see them sit back after the third minute goal. You know, if St. Louis had scored a goal early, you know, that's not what would have happened. But I think Chicago knew that when they get the chance, they want to sit back and hit us on the counter. And I think the biggest thing I'm going to hammer this at the end, but I want to mention it here, too. Um, Taylor Twan, this is how I felt after that game because we've seen, I say it over and over, we've seen the Rapids successfully do this to us. Minnesota got us. We've seen any team that bunkers successfully, that Portland, that second Portland game, they bunker against us successfully. They pick their moments. They counter mm-hmm. on us. And all they got to do is score once. And then the game the totally flips on its head. And um, Taylor Twelman put it best in that regard. He said, this is the blueprint. The blueprint is out on St. Louis City on how you beat them. If you can score the goal first, or even if you don't, just sit back, bunker, counter, catch a, catch a goal on, on the counterattack. And so, like, this is, this is the next step is can we figure out how to beat this? And right now, I think to some degree the question is can we figure out how to beat this without Klaus playing a game? And I think, that, you know, you talking about wasted chances – too fancy. I, I'll say I don't mind it being fancy. Sometimes you're gonna, someday you're going to get a goal on that. But you know, just missed connections were driving me crazy in that. Yeah. And it's not just St. Louis's fault. It's the fact that there's a salary cap. These teams are all close already. We don't have our DP, and we can't score a goal on a bunker defense. It's very difficult. We even saw Kansas City beat um, beat Seattle on exactly that playbook. One of the best teams in the league. And you know, it's interesting because. It's uh, in some ways a 
better position to be in for St. Louis. So if there's a silver lining to being in this position of a team has figured out the blueprint to St. Louis, it's that there is a blueprint to figure out and teams have made that connection already. So we're not starting and we're not, we're not in May saying, wow, we got to, we still have yet to put something together. We still have yet to figure out our identity. It's not that teams haven't figured us out because we haven't figured ourselves out. It's a case of we figured ourselves out. We started off 5-0 and because we knew exactly how to play and how to win against teams. But then you see that exact thing, figuring out the blueprint, bunkering down, the low block, making St. Louis possess the ball. Okay, so, so teams have figured out that's a way to counter what we started as success. Now we just have to counterpunch it. We have to figure out how to, how to figure out the blueprint, right? So it's, it's chess, and it's the next level, the next iteration, the evolution of our system is how to figure that out. Because let me tell you, Phil, if we figure out the blueprint against us, that's going to make all kinds of chaos for other teams' defenses. They're not going to be able to know which way you, sh- you need to attack St. Louis, which way you need to defend St. Louis, because they can beat you in multiple ways, not just sending the ball, not just the verticality, not just the hold-up play that our striker has, but figuring out the low block. That Once we figure it out, and I firmly believe there will come a time soon, whether it's when Klaus is back and mm-hmm. when Alm is back or not, that we figure that out, and that's going to be another game changer this year for the for St. Louis. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a long season, and there's a lot of time to figure that out. And um, our staff's been good. You know, this is just our mm-hmm. first massive adjustment that we've had to work on um, of a bunch of smaller ones getting in the way as well. We are Flyover Footy. You're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you all for joining us. Um, I think we need to put some time. We've got a little more time because we're talking about Chicago Fire twice. Uh, we got to put some time into the Miguel Perez goal, right? His first goal. That's a big deal. And it Off was of fun chest. to see. <laughs> Off his chest. Ab- yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I saw some people after the game saying, well, it's a bummer that he got his first goal when this was the result. No, it's it's never a bummer when you get your first goal. I'm sorry. But it, it doesn't matter how <laughs> the game works out. That's, right. There's always something positive to take away. And this cannot be overlooked. Bad things happen or good things happen in bad games and vice versa. This is a very good thing, a positive thing for Miguel Perez. And you can see this as a noticeable evolution of his game this year. So we Bradley Carnell has given so much trust in Miggy Perez, especially with the Jabulu Bloom injury. And Perez has continuously rewarded him. Yes, he's had he's had some some mistakes here and there and, and some growth uh, as a player and some learning opportunities. But my goodness, this was if you look at FOTMOB, he was their player of the match. And the amount of the amount of passes that he had into the final third, the amount of of successful tackles that he had, he had a great game, and he rewarded himself with a goal there at the end off of that Leuven corner. And whether it was his head or his chest, you know that that is just an iconic moment that is is going to be remembered as having come against Chicago. Yes, you'll you'll know that we lost the game, but that was a battle that was notable to win, and I think we have to celebrate that. Yeah, I think as a side note, I've been kind of talking behind the scenes with guys who watch the national team, that U-20 national team um, roster drop today. And, you know, Pukstas was in it and there's talk about him joining in the group stage, not in the initial stages. And so I've been asking around, I'm like, what about Perez? You know, how far away from that depth chart do you think he is? And he's not on the radar right now. I'm just going to be yeah. honest. But, you know, what did we say, Matt? Isn't this his fourth start of the season this Open Cup game was? 
I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's not a small amount for a 17- and 18-year-old. So, um, you know, if he keeps on this road, I'd like to see him continue in that. He's got some improving to do, but, you know, I thought he looked very good in this game as well. I don't know if you have – was there more that you saw, like, reasons, some of the things he was doing that um, did put him as one of the best players, according to that website? Oh, uh, his his passing, he had like an 80-some percent passing completion. His key passes into the, the attacking third. He was um, he was kind of like the six that we've been needing, yeah. where he's, he's in that defensive end, but he's making some really key passes through the midfield, facilitating things up to Eddie Leuven. Definitely our closest thing to Blome. If Blome is out, like Perez fills that role almost perfectly, right? Yeah, I, I think, and he's grown into it. So there was okay. a lot of... Yeah. Um, and, and he's going against some really some bigger guys, right? In that in our defensive end, so his ability to learn and adapt to MLS and the physicality in the league has been pretty noteworthy so quickly. Mm-hmm. Having three league starts and four total starts, yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, he's, there's been improvement for sure. Growing into the game is is well said there, Matt. Anything else about this game before we move on to the next section here? Well, it was also the first time that uh, Miggy Perez played all 90. Mm -hmm. And so that's notable when you talk about what could happen this weekend. I think it goes back to everybody's still on the table because there's been uh, from Tuesday to Saturday, a significant amount of rest. But him having gone 90 is notable to me. Um, You know, those 20 passes into the final third. Edward Leuven, again, had the most chances created in this match. Jared Stroud had two of the best opportunities to score. Things to keep in mind as we're looking at specific players that we are maybe predicting or we'll see this Saturday. But some of the other things that keeping in mind the flow of the game is ideally going to be vastly different. Chicago won the duel battle against us. They won the tackle battle and they clobbered us in interceptions. Hmm. So 79 duels to our 57 one, 23 tackles to our 18. And they had 21 interceptions to our five. They were, they were putting themselves in the lanes very, very well. And that, I think, is a byproduct of their ability to drop back in, dispa- in, in defend in uh, spaces that we were trying to create as opposed to playing their traditional style, which is more akin to us. So you, you don't allow that early goal, which ideally we won't. And, you know, I think the transition for me from Tuesday to Saturday is it should be a vastly different game than what we saw for the majority if we can keep them off the score sheet early. Interesting. Yeah, the the stats that they really destroyed us on that you listed there, Matt, duels, one, tackles, interceptions, those are things that they're already good at. And I think you Mm -hmm. nailed it, too, in saying that I think them sitting back really magnified their talents rather than, you know, challenging them in any way. So they're a tough uh, team to beat in those in those ways. And, uh, you know, I hope that we have a more open game coming up and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But first we were you, sorry, you and Santiago were able to go to the press conference this week and uh, I'd love to hear about some injury updates and a few other things that you guys have that you have for us here. Yeah, there were, there were, it was kind of a somber um, press conference to be fair. And it was, it has been for a couple of weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Indiana Vasilev was there in particular and Santi and I were lamenting that he wasn't his usual joyful Indiana Vasilev. He, mm-hmm. he, he had a, an aura about him that was like, we got business to take care of. It wasn't like a, don't get me wrong, it wasn't a woe is me. It wasn't like we're down, we don't know what's going on situation. It was, we got beat and we know what we need to do. Because Vasilev, Carnell, they all mentioned how the way that the team starts off has to be better. There has to be more 
fire coming out of them, to borrow <laughs> the fire's moniker, right? But there has to be more drive and, and determination to play the ball and to come out firing. Because what we saw against the Chicago Fire team on Tuesday can't happen. And, and I think they're very, very aware of that. Ha- having watched tape, they, they talked about how often they were looking at it. They know what they need to do right off the bat. And if you can do that and sustain that, then they, they kept mentioning how getting back to your principles and getting back to your, your play style, that can happen if you don't let up like they did early on. And aside from just talking about you know watching tape and that those kinds of factors, the biggest thing to come out of the press conference were updates on Joao Klaus and Rasmus Alm, which are that both are out for Saturday. They they did not practice with the team. Um, they're still recovering. It's going a little slower than Carnell had first hoped with that 10 to 14 day prognosis. And I was telling somebody earlier, this is why Carnell doesn't give estimates for time. And mm-hmm. he's very vague because when it doesn't work out and somebody's out longer, you get this kind of response. Unlike uh, Jabulu Blom or Tim Parker, who are the opposites, right? So Blom was supposed to be out for five to six weeks and he came back, I think, right at five, maybe a little before five. Uh, and Parker was only out for a week with his groin injury. So quick, quick recoveries there, a little longer than we hoped for Klaus and Alm, who's out with an abdominal injury. I believe he sustained in practice last week. Hmm. Um, it was right after the Portland match. So those are going to be unavailable. And the, the, the biggest considerations for that is those are two of our highest octane attackers. Um, Klaus's presence and his, the way he changes games for us is known now. I don't think there's any any doubters in St. Louis anymore, unlike the first week or so where people, all they saw of Klaus was against from City 2 last year. I think it's, it's now who can we have to create those chances? How are we going to hold up play? How are we going to uh, be successful in the final third without Joao Klaus and without Rasmus Alm, who, man, Rasmus Alm is like a Jabulu Blom. He was just getting into form really, really well before suffering this injury again, being out. Um, he's he's somebody who I just I think when he has a, a run of a few games, people are really going to come around to Alm is our right mid and and he belongs there. I said he was one of the best right mids in the game a few games ago, just because or in MLS rather. But he needs more time to show that. He's showing flashes of brilliance. We don't have two of our main attackers. So how are we going to utilize maybe our midfielders? Because now we have the depth of midfield. And we're going to talk about our predictions in our lineup. We're going to talk about uh, who we expect to fill those roles. But you you have people like Nico Joachini who didn't see all 90. You 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 have Celio Pompeu who saw 90, but it's has been rested. Um, you have Indiana Vasilev who has attacking experience. And so I asked Vasilev about his positioning and he was, he wasn't joking around anymore at this point. He was just saying, I'll play, I, I can play anywhere they want me to. And I firmly believe that if we have a lineup that rolls out with Blom, Leuven and Vasilev, Vasilev will find his way into the attacking third. And there's some stats that we're going to talk about later that have to do with balls in the final third balls in the penalty box. Let me tell you, Vasilev is near the top of our team in that. Hmm. 
Good stuff. That's actually, I, th- I was scared of uh, doom and gloom in that regard, but I, I'm glad we, we might have something oh, to talk about. There's some of that, too. Yeah. There's some positivity. I can't, I can't doom and gloom without positivity. That's not my style. Well, that's what I love about you. Thank you, Matt. Uh, you're listening to Flyover Footy. We are on the big 550 KTRS. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Let's dig into the preview of Chicago Fire. You, you, you hinted on a few starters, and we're going to hit that at the end, I think, pretty good. Yep. Uh, but why don't you lead us into this next section about where St. Louis and Chicago stand, and some of the things to look for in this game coming up. Yeah, we went through pretty deep on some of the the on-field stuff with the fire, but let's let's take a step back and look at the MLS picture. St. Louis is still second in the West, still fourth in the Sporter Shield standings with 19 points, a 6-3-1 record, 3-1-1 away, 22 goals, 10, plus 10 goal differential in MLS play. We still are uh, in the lead with goals and tied for the best goal differential in the league, despite our last run of form. Chicago sits 14th in the West, or I'm sorry, 14th in the East with 11 points, a 2-3-5 and record, 1-0-5 at home with 13 goals total this year and a minus three goal differential. Uh, that is important because it's what got Ezra Hendrickson, their coach, fired. Hmm. And so they're looking to Frank Klopas to get that new manager bounce, which started Tuesday, hopefully doesn't run over. But just looking at the last few games, the run of form uh, for both teams, St. Louis's run of form has been less than stellar. Our last three MLS matches, so not counting what we saw against the Fire, two weeks ago we had a 2-1 to loss at home against Portland. We had a 1-1 draw in Colorado, and then we had a 5-1 win at home against FC Cincinnati. We know the game against Dallas was abandoned, and we know that we lost against Fire. So we started off 5-0 in February and March. We've gone 1-3-1 in April with three losses and including like our likely toughest single month of the entire year. Um, It's also notable in those last three league matches. So Dallas, Portland, and Colorado since FC Cincinnati, we have less than one expected goals per game in each of those. So you're seeing the, the chance creations, you're seeing the shots and opportunities at a very low rate overall for city and the, the advanced stats back that up. And then Chicago's last form, their last three MLS matches, were a 3-0 loss at Nashville, which they were running a rotated lineup because they saved quite a few of their attacking players, their attacking starters for St. Louis. So that's taken with a grain of salt for me. They had a 1-1 draw against New York Red Bull and a 2-1 loss at Atlanta. A couple notable things for the Fire are that they have not scored more than two goals since March 25th at Miami, and their last home loss was September 17th, 2022, a 3-2 to loss against Charlotte. There's an interesting storyline that came out this last week um, once St. Louis started losing. Uh, I know Ben Wright is someone I follow and respect, uh, but mm-hmm. you know he posted that you know no wonder St. Louis is struggling and looked so good in the beginning of the season because they played some of the worst teams in MLS, as it turns out, after a few weeks. Um, that is true to some extent. I'm trying to find where Cincinnati is. Cincinnati's second. Cincinnati's, a, Cincinnati's yeah. <laughs> one of the best teams in the league. So, so. that that's an outlier. Um, yeah. But it might be the only outlier. I don't know. Like, beating well, the Portland early the was earth- the time to beat them. The San Jose Earthquakes is one of those or one of those teams that, at the time, they were a bubble team for the playoffs, but they've had a great run of form. They're now sitting fourth in the West. So we do have a few teams to hang our hats on. Yeah. Um, Portland is even in the in the playoff picture right now. But yeah, he's talking about Salt Lake, Austin, Charlotte. So there's, 
I mean, you could cherry pick data to make your point all you want. Yeah. It's it's half and half. If it's you're a little at it from both. Standings perspective. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and and I would just I guess I just want to pose the question because this is a theory that I have is that if you were to kind of make a chart of people who sit back and counter versus people who are willing to come at us, uh, you know, in a certain way that we do really well against people who are just coming at us with an open system or, you know, the way that Dallas played us, the way that Cincinnati played us versus people like Minnesota and Colorado. Yeah. I mean, we didn't lose against Colorado, but it felt like one. Um, so there's just like a style of play that really guts us. And we've had a lot of those lately. And I think that may be the only thing we're looking at here. It's just a theory of mine. I don't know what you think of that, Matt. Yeah. And that goes to, uh, passes per sequence to me. So I, there's those two stats that I love to tout mm-hmm. on every one of our shows, direct speed and passes per sequence. And so teams that are among the highest in passes per sequence that we've played this year are Seattle, FC Dallas, Austin, Colorado, San Jose, all teams that gave us trouble to an extent. And then uh, those, those earlier teams, so all those teams except San Jose, the Colorado, the Austin, FC Dallas, and Seattle – are some of the least direct teams. So they have, I mean, they've got, they work the ball around the field. They possess the ball. So that is backed up again to the advanced metrics that those teams give us trouble. You're going to have, we have success against teams like, we've had success against Portland. We've had success against Real Salt Lake. Um, We don't, I I say we don't know Chicago because the game changed on a dime there Mm -hmm. in the third minute. But those are the kinds of teams, uh, FC Cincinnati, who are more direct with the ball, less passes per sequence. So they're working the ball up more vertically and trying to not possess the St. Louis style, essentially. Interesting. And so we've had success against those kinds of teams. Yeah, so I guess uh, the, the theory about like the defensive shape and the defensive style, I guess, I'm not sure. I'd love to find a metric that would kind of lay that out really easily. Um, but I don't know. I, I, what you The passes per sequence isn't necessarily uh, proof in the pudding, would you say? No, it's not. I mean, it's not proof. There's there's a couple teams that bounce back and forth, and I guess it depends on some of those formations. Like mm-hmm. uh, FC Cincinnati had a three man back line, and we found a lot of success against them. So our teams that run a, a wing back system more susceptible to our verticality. You know, d- do do teams that try to spread the field wide um, allow more space mm-hmm. in the middle for us to work through? You know, there's arguments that can be made. Um, either way on that and i i do think there's merit to it though yeah i do too i do too to some extent but i don't think we've nailed it down yet that's something we'll be watching and updating throughout the uh, season something i'll be watching for at least mm-hmm. uh, matt i know you got a lot more stats thanks for my letting me do my rabbit trail there why don't you lay some more on us yeah so some uh some stats for the team so where teams are is in possession shots uh those kinds of things so we saw that both teams, uh, and, and both teams are in that upper quadrant of very direct speed, very low passes per sequence. Uh, Chicago, in fact, is the second highest team when it comes to direct speed with the ball, second to St. Louis. They're top five when it comes to um, lowest passes per sequence. They want to move the ball up the field. We saw that in the first three minutes. They were mm-hmm. very adept at doing that in winning these aerial battles. We're going to talk about styles in a, in a little bit, but... All those lead to both teams averaging less than 50% possession throughout the season. Uh, Both teams average pretty similar shots and shots on goal, with St. Louis averaging about 12.7 shots, 4.8 on goal. Chicago, 11.5 shots and three shots on goal. So there aren't many 
shot chances created on goal. Um, and then looking into the total passes, Chicago has just a hair under 400 total passes per game, which lines up with that less than 50% possession. St. Louis has about 350 passes. And what that means is um, those passes per sequence are very low. We're, we're more successful when we're not uh, having plus 400 passes per game, which is what we hap- happen against the Chicago Fire on Tuesday. Mm. Um, yeah, some of the duels, the duel battles, we average 60 duel wins. They average 57, which is markedly different than what happened on Tuesday. It was pretty much flipped on that. Tackles, we average 12.9 tackles. They average 11.6. So again, we're we're used to winning. If you look at us comparatively, we would be winning, all things equal, the, the metric battle in duels and tackles and passes the way we want to play. But when you have something that happened on Tuesday occur, that's why I think the rest of that game, and I'll, I've said it before, I'll say it again, is not exactly what we can hope to see this coming Saturday. And then looking at overall in the league, some of the notable stat categories in league leadership. I mentioned St. Louis still leads the league in goals and uh, goal differential. Well, we also lead the league in goals inside the 18. Um, a lot of that coming with Klaus, though. So if you look at the difference, and this is why some of these stats are difficult to to put into perspective in our current state is a lot of the success we had in becoming league leaders was with Klaus. And so we haven't found that identity yet without him. I mentioned the less than one expected goals per game playing into all of this where other teams are catching up to us pretty quickly on this. There's a physicality aspect that I think is going to be interesting to watch. And we saw it hmm. out of Jared Stroud, especially in, in the match on Tuesday where St. Louis is third in the league in fouls with 164 total through 11 games or 10 and a half games. Uh, we only have 23 yellow cards though. So tactical with our fouls, smart. We, we play our, we're aggressive, but not um, overly aggressive. Chicago, on the other hand, is fourth in the league in yellow cards with 27. They only have 127 fouls mm. committed. So less fouls, more yellow cards. Uh, this is something we can definitely take advantage of if we're able to put the ball into anywhere near the attacking third to create some of those set piece opportunities because Chicago is a little more uh, willing to foul in some dangerous spots. And uh, then I want to add to that too. Like there's three penalty kicks conceded by Chicago fire too, which is yes. the most in the, in the league. They're tied three ways, but um, you know, that's interesting too, because we talked about that chart last week, how St. Louis is way outperforming the goals that they should have according to whatever stats. Um, and Stuart mentioned it perfectly there that a lot, some of that could be that we haven't gotten a penalty kick or we've only gotten one this season. So, you know, maybe some extra dives from Nico in this one, <laughs> we could grab another PK in the box. That'd be nice. I could, I would take he, it at this point. He's had a few opportunities where we, we just need to get bodies in the box, control the ball well and draw those fouls and that'll do it. Yeah. You know, th- there's, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of stylistic things that match up really well for St. Louis on here. We talked about those two stats, but also high turnovers. Um, both teams with their pressing are, are top of the league and high turnovers forced. Chicago is actually better than St. Louis. Now they have an extra half game on us, so mm. that might be part of it, but they are higher than us in high turnovers forced. Um, but we're better with our turnover, forcing high turnovers and ending them in shots. So they have 104 high turnovers forced, meaning they're pressing us in our defensive third and they're turning the ball, they're forcing turnovers. And 14 of those 104 have resulted in a shot. We've had 99 and 19 have result, resulted in a shot. 
three of those goals, but those were some of the back passes that happened earlier in the year. So again, grain of salt with those. But in general, we are two of the highest teams enforcing these high turnovers. Expect a lot of pressure on the ball in each team's defensive third. So the way that our center backs work the ball out to our midfield, the way that our our, our wingers work the ball up the field, getting getting quickly out of our defensive third is going to be incredibly important in this game. Can you repeat that stat? It was the the turnovers, the high turnovers that resulted in shots. It was what was it? Chicago versus St. Louis in those. That resulted in shots, uh, 14 for Chicago, 19 for St. Louis. Okay, good. Okay, I was hoping we were better, but I missed the Chicago one. I apologize. Um, A couple other things that I've I've noticed is, you know, Chicago's toward the bottom, middle bottom um, in shots against, and they only have one clean sheet this season. And so that's something that St. Louis could definitely try to take advantage of. And what you're saying there, Matt, the way that they press high, their high turnover rate, it makes sense, right? When you're doing that, it's really easy to get taken advantage of um, in the in the fine in the back in the defensive third. So Chicago has a similar problem to what we've had in the last few weeks. That could be something maybe we can use fire versus fire. Oh man, I did that on an accident as well. But here we are. <laughs> Um, fifth in dual percentage and interceptions. You kind of alluded to that with some of your stats, but you yep. know, Chicago Fire, they put in a shift, right? They're really good at that kind of stuff. So those are the two um, that I'm looking at. It was something that not many teams have beaten us in that, but Minnesota was one that kind of outdueled us. And I think there have been a couple teams that have gotten us on the day, but it felt like Minnesota actually is good at that and did beat us in the day in, in, the, in those stats um, for me. Um, Matt, I see here that you have a couple key players that you would like to talk about here. Yeah, so some of the players we saw on Tuesday, uh, some of the players that didn't feature or maybe uh, are returning from injury are w- worth paying attention to. So Kai Kamara, obviously, we know he's going to be important to pay attention to. I think he'll start. He's third all-time leading goal scorer in MLS. And St. Louis is one of the very few teams that he doesn't have a goal against. So this you know, c- preventing him from getting on the score sheet is mm-hmm. going to be a little badge of honor for St. Louis that I hope to see. Um, other notable players for Chicago, just to pay attention to. So uh, number eight, Chris Mueller, he's got some national team experience. He just returned from an injury. He may be injured. I saw a report that he had picked up something possibly after the Tuesday game. He only mm-hmm. played a half on Tuesday, so it'll be interesting to see if he's actually in the starting eleven. Uh, Brian Gutierrez, homegrown number 17. He's been playing some number 10, uh, the number 10 position, uh, switching on and off with Shakiri a little bit. But the prevailing thought right now is he's going to shift back out wide while Shakiri takes that number 10, at least how Frank Klopas. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go Phil. I just wanted to speak when you were done. But no, oh. that's a major uh, storyline for this one is that a lot of people are saying Chicago Fire fans think that Gutierrez might have surpassed Shakiri. So, you know, yeah. I thought he looked really good in that Open Cup game. Shakiri only had a couple really amazing moments that were like flashes of flashes, himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? But Gutierrez, man, he put in a good shift. And he looks like one of the better players for the Fire, in my opinion. And he's young. So that's really fun. Oh, Oh, absolutely. He's a he's a definitely a bright spot. And I he's not going to sit. I don't see him sitting. So if he if Shakiri starts, he just shifts wide. It's not like I think Shakiri will take his spot. Um, the other part of that story, uh, though, is that people prefer him centrally. And so that's the hard part is yeah. that he's not as effective wide. But, you know, that's that's just fans, I think, fan talk. But it's a good story to watch. Right. Shakiri little... only played. 45 on Tuesday, though, too. Exactly, yeah. And um, we're a little short on time. I was just going to see if you could hit up. I'm curious about Jairo Torres. I don't know if I said that right. Yeah, Jairo Torres, uh, young DP forward. So he's he had uh, surgery at the end of last year uh, to 
repair left tibia stress fracture. So he, he missed the last uh, bit of the season in 2022. He's been out with a hamstring injury lately. So kind of a bit of bad luck. He's only played a couple matches. It seems like he's been cleared to play. He hasn't been on the injury list. And Frank Klopas said that he should be returning. So whether that means starting, whether that means starting to see minutes like uh, Jabulu Blom did for us, mm-hmm. uh, Jairo Torres is going to be an interesting player to watch out for. Number 20, young DB forward, whether he is able to crack through um, maybe alongside Akai Kamara or or just underneath on maybe the left side. It's that, That'll be a very interesting thing to watch. Um, well, we better, some- we better do. I'm so sorry, Matt, but we better do our lineups. And if you can fit any of these storylines into your lineup, well, let's do our lineups and we got to get out of here. I always talk too much when it comes to the Chicago <laughs> fire. Let's do it. All right. So my predicted lineup, um, I had this a couple days ago. I'm going to stick with it. I think we're going to run Berkey and net. That's obvious. I think we're going to get back to our primary back line minus Parker because he's suspended. So we have uh, Johnny Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Lucas Bartlett, Jake Nerwinski in the midfield. I think we're going to give Jabulu Blum a start. I think he went 12 minutes on Tuesday. I think he has the fitness worked up and I think he's going to be um, a, a core component of our midfield. How, how long he plays? I don't know, but I think he's going to be in our midfield alongside Indiana Vasilev, which means I think Edward Leuven is going to be pushed up a little bit. And this is a big storyline that I'm going to want to watch with a healthy Jabulu Blom is what do we do with Indiana Vasilev and what do we do with Edu Leuven? My ideal lineup here is going to be either a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2 where you might push Leuven all the way up, but you at least get him centrally into that number 10. Wide, I think we're going to have uh, Jared Stroud and Tomas Ostrock and then Nico Jokini up front. Yeah, I don't know exactly what we'll see, but I do have a feeling we're going to see Jubilo Blom. I, I hope we get a lot of him at least 30 minutes if he, if he doesn't start. Um, but I'm interested to see the same thing, Matt. I'm interested to see uh, who's going to play in this one, whether Indiana Vasilev and Blom and Leuven can play. Possibly if Leuven's at the 10. I prefer, I think they saved Ostrock for, for this game. He came in in the 59th minute, so I think he's going to yep. start at the 10 in this one. In my opinion, I'm just getting those vibes, but he may play on the wing. Leuven may play the 10. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, so that's something to watch. Um, I We have run out of time here and I apologize. I didn't watch the time as well as I usually do, but obviously we're a podcast flyover footy. We're a podcast. We've been uh, doing this since 2015 in some, in some form or fashion. So please do listen to us after we do this radio show on our podcast, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, we realized that we need to start asking people to please fill out a review because we've been just falling down the charts and we have a feeling that we never asked for that. So if you enjoy the show, Please do fill out a review. Hopefully it's a positive one. We'd love to hear our DMs are open. If you have any critique, we'd love to improve and get better for you guys. Uh, But please check us out there. We got YouTube. We got Twitter. We got Instagram. We do videos. We do clips through the week. Lots of news from Matt Baker and Santiago on Twitter. So please do check us out. And again, leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. It's Flyover Footy. We're on the big 550 KTRS. Everybody enjoy the game in another 30 minutes. Bye-bye. Go City. everybody we're back it's the wind down and uh, it's become a bit of a tradition to start with q and a's 
Uh, and that's awesome because that means everyone's been giving us questions for the last several weeks. And I love I that. Really, I really like this part of it. Me I like too. I, I sometimes it's stressful to try to get as much in that 45 minutes as as we do. I think we do a pretty good job, especially when you have midweek matches. It's tough. Yeah. But I really like the flexibility it gives us to just go deep into some of these questions because uh, end of the day, like I don't want to talk in my own bubble. I don't want to be in my own sphere. I want to know and, and talk with other people and try to, you know, help understand or talk through some of the things that people who are listening to us are thinking. Yeah, I, this is I, I'm, I hope it's not political in any way, but I listened to this new show about like, I guess Trump did like a town hall meeting on CNN or something. And they talked about how terrible the questions were from the news people. But then the crowd got to ask questions and how amazing oh, the yeah. crowd questions were. And it's totally like the same idea for us. Like we get in our bubble and we get a little too in the know or inside baseball kind of stuff. And, it, you know, everyone who asks a question can definitely play a part in keeping us out of that. And well, on like when you were when you plugged uh, uh, leaving reviews at the end of the 45, um, <laughs> my first thought is like, I, I love talking about soccer. I could I could probably do it in just my basement if nobody's listening to me. But there's a massive joy I get in um any semblance of education that I can help with. It's not like I'm the end all be all far from it, but it's just like, I, I loved researching this and, and looking things up so much. And I, I would rather tailor it to what somebody's wanting to know. Like I spent time today looking up answers to what people were asking and I just like to do it. And so those are the kinds of things that's like, if people are going to leave reviews, it's like, all right, I want to find value in what I'm listening to. I don't want to just have St. Louis talk on in the background. I want to learn something or at least feel like this has enabled me to know more about the game that I'm watching. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, the, input and questions from you guys actually helps me as well massively and what i wanted to say lastly um is that like three four five years ago i would be like does anyone have questions for this week's podcast we get none <laughs> so yeah. it's really amazing that that people listen so thank you if you're if you're hearing this that you if you've sent a question i love it um so here's one from todd Todd says, we're in second place with a game in hand on the first place team. It may be because I'm a Southampton fan, too, and my perspective has changed on what constitutes a successful season. But do you think fans are overreacting to a poor 15% of the season considering the outside expectations for the club preseason and where we stand in the table currently? Great, great question, Todd. I love this question, and we could probably spend 45 minutes on this. Yep. Because we, having having done this podcast for so long, we've talked about expectations. We've talked about what happens if we start the season 0-5. Are fans going to stop selling out City Park? Are fans going to turn on the team and never come back? And it was quite the opposite. So we know that the expectations going into the season from the national media were wooden spoon winners, meaning worst team in the league. We know that in St. Louis, we just have generally high expectations for our teams, I think. And so locally, to me, it was more, I'm just happy to be here to start it off, right? I don't think anybody looked too far ahead. I think people digested a lot of those national media and it kind of skewed what they were thinking a little bit. I know I did. So I, I'm not thinking we're going to win Sporter Shield, 
But at the same time, seeing national media talk about the things that reasons why we're going to finish last place, some of it started to permeate through, even though I'd been watching City 2 and the Academy build and all that stuff. So it's like, okay, is, does this have have merit? And so you put all that together and to start the season, I, I definitely think it's a happy to be here model. I went to Austin and we there's no St. Louis fan that I went to that I went with who said, I'm expecting to win. Hmm. Nobody. And once you win five in a row, that all changes because it's not in the weeds of there's a specific style of play that we're playing that other teams just have yet to figure out. The other shoe's going to drop. It's that we've figured MLS out. It, it is a bit of that um, cockiness that mm-hmm. got to us. So as we've come down this second block of games, as Bradley and Lutz like to refer to it as sometimes, you see that blueprint. And all of that is essentially a course correction of expectations where you do have that massive ebb and flow. But go back to what we initially thought. Playoffs would be a a fantastic finish to the season. Like that is still the bar to me. We made it so easy on ourselves by the start that we had to where we only basically have to average a point per game the rest of the way and we'll probably make the playoffs. Keep those expectations tempered because, like we talked about in the first 45, we had a system, teams didn't figure it out, then teams figured it out, and now we're struggling, and that's where we kind of are right now. Mm -hmm. Once we figure out the blueprint and it starts to be a more significant, more uh, genuine back and forth of teams about we know different ways that we can change our game plan to fit our system depending on what the other team is throwing at us, and we know it works each way. Once we get to that uh, level of maturity in our organization, it's going to be a whole different ball game. And then we can talk about, all right, we're able to bounce bounce back and, and flow with these kinds of things. But I do think, to the exact question, that fans are overreacting to a poor 15% of the season, not just because of that, but because of the lack of Joao Klaus in this most most recent run of form and yes it is putting a lot on one player to say if we're missing this one player then we're we're less than or we don't have depth there to be able to comp- compensate that's a problem that i hope to have rectified in the summer transfer window i think that that is something that has to have been seen accepted and acknowledged by the team is that if you can't figure out a way to win with draw klaus you need to bring in another draw klaus is that yeah is that the answer i don't know i do think like losing klaus and not having someone like him you know i think uh ryan cole earlier was like i would love to see uh someone get a cross in and you know yes perhaps in the open cup game but then again like would do we have someone who can score on a aerial cross you know i mean a low cross for sure but you know we saw how many times we were just beating our head against the wall against portland just sending crosses in and it just didn't work so you know the class thing is an interesting thing um you know every couple of weeks we'll bring up the fact that Joachim Nilsson is still out. And so, you know, looking at the way that Chicago scored against us, would a Parker and Nilsson combo have let that go in, even with Pedro there, depending on whether, you know, we talked about that earlier. Um, Mm. Also, that kind of a goal is the kind of goal that like a, a Jubilo Blom is is the kind of guy that can stop those kind of counterattacks if we want to have yep. a lone six kind of thing. Even if we play 
Leuven and Blom, you know, that seems relatively counterattack proof to, to whatever extent you could you can even say that in modern soccer. So um, just things to think about, like whatever that blueprint is to get past this downfall that we've experienced here to figure out the blueprint everyone's been using against us that Taylor Twalman has mentioned. Um, you know, we got to figure out how to counter that. And there are so many uh, options for that. And there's a lot of time left, like we said. So I, you know, this is like, how do our players respond? How does our coaching staff tactically respond? That's going to be kind of the two things that I'm going to be looking for this week. Yeah, player personnel plays a huge factor in this to me because when you saw the roster that we had built, you saw depth at a lot of our attacking positions. We always thought there was a lack of depth at central midfield, not considering Indiana Vasilev would really find a home there for us this year, almost out of necessity because of Jabulu Blom's injury. But don't forget, earlier in the season, the ideal starting lineup for City was Blom and Leuven in central midfield. Yeah. And so if we are able to find that, find our way back to that, or maybe gr- use that as the, the point of growth and get to a spot where Indiana Vasilev is now a number eight type of a player because he's shown an ability to do that this year. He's shown an ability to play two ways. He's shown an ability to possess in the midfield, keep the ball and move it forward very quickly. There's some stats that I've got that back that up. But if you if you do that, along with the Miggy Perez growth, and you can move Ed, Edu Leuven higher up on the field and let him be more of a creative outlet as opposed to a two-way, as opposed to a destroyer, that that gives you so many different options compared to what we thought we had at the beginning of the year. And it gives you more depth in more spaces. Mm-hmm. Completely agree from Daniel. He has this question on Twitter with Klaus Alm Parker out and Blome not starting. How does this club generate chances, let alone, let alone goals? I hate to say it, but I think we get shut out two zero on Saturday. This club is lost in the final third. I mean, that's this is a mix. Not, this is a mix of like the last question and yeah. the fact that there's unfortunately some truth in his question, it's, right? It's very, it's a very specific example of the last question, yeah, which yeah, I, yeah. I purposefully wanted to talk about this one second uh, because he's right. Klaus, Alm, and Parker are all going to be out. I think Blom is going to be a candidate to start, but it's not a given. He only went 12 minutes on Tuesday, so you know that's a that's a it's still a bit of a leap, even if you're fitness is progressing well to say 12 to 45 to 60 that's a lot and so if we don't have blom out there it changes things pretty drastically because then you have to leverage likely uh leuven and vasilev because we said miggy perez went 90 on tuesday Uh, he's gonna play he'll be available i don't know if he'll be available to start so that changes some of our look in the midfield um edu leuven leads our team in creating chances by a country mile and I, it might be a good time to go into some of those stats, but the idea is our, our chances are created by Edu Leuven, by Jared Stroud, by our fullbacks, uh, and by Indiana Vasilev. And so if we're able to get those guys up the field, involved in the attack, and provide service in general, it doesn't matter yet if that's well received, but the ball needs to be placed in good positions. That's the start, mm-hmm. right? So you have to have, you don't have to, like, if you take this one step at a time, 
you just have to move the ball up the field quickly and get it to a point where it can be crossed in. It can be you can play a guy in in the channels um, or you can get a long shot off. Like if, if you can get the ball there, that's the first step. But then assuming you can and we've been adept at Johnny Nelson, Jake Nerwinski, Indiana Vasilev and Eddie Leuven doing that. Then you get to our forwards of how is the ball going to be finished? Is it Tomas Ostrak? Is it Nico Giochini? Um, we've seen flashes of them having success. Is it Celio Pompeu? But we haven't seen consistency. And there haven't been very many games without Klaus to enable consistency. So that's an argument there is Klaus is only about to miss his third total game, if you count the U.S. Open Cup as a yeah. game. And so Celio Pompeu just started coming into form um, as in our first Open Cup game. So there's a there's a level of handoff that happened there between Klaus and kind of Celio Pompeu, but there haven't there hasn't been a big sample size of that. So MLS seasons are 34 games. They're long. They're drawn out. There there there's a lot that goes into that. Is two or three games enough of a sample size to say that Nico and Celio don't work? I don't think it is. I think the ball needs to be put into better positions for them to do work because they're not types of players where they're going to hold up and create for others in a consistent way like Klaus. It's just a different different mechanics, different style. Yeah, and, and to kind of build on that some more, like just finding someone who hangs out in the final, in the, in the box, in the 18. Like, I think it's better when we have Celio and Joaquini because we get a little bit of interplay between the two. But I, we just don't have someone who hangs around in the box and is able to create something with the ball at their feet. And that's what Klaus is incredible at. You know, you get the ball to him in a dangerous position. He's able to use his body or maneuver with his feet, his beautiful Brazilian feet, and score a goal, you know. And that's the kind of thing we need in the box right now. And that's why I don't like Leuven at the 10. Um, I, I, I think he is. He's the best uh, playmaker we got on the team but he's just better in the eight position because then he's got more guys in the box ahead of him he's just not the guy that that creates something out of nothing in the box with his feet or with his body I think he's capable but it's not his game it's not what he's really good at he's good at we see him all around the box looking for people to pass to and you know I think that's why I like having Ostrock in there um, or Gio and Giochini and uh, Celio, yeah. like it's at least better. But you know, even if I'm not even sure Sam Adeneron would have been good at this, we never gave him the chance. I don't think. But you know, if we were to pick someone up, if we we're gonna say, you know, should we get someone? You know, this is the like you were saying, Matt. It's the obvious thing to be like, yeah. well, who can we get to back up Klaus or to replace Klaus while he's hurt? Bobby's is the obvious him. fix, right? Yes, it could be, and, and I think that's kind of what I'm getting at is if we were to pick someone up in the next window, it doesn't have to be someone incredible, but someone who can make something of nothing in the box, a true nine. You know, even yeah. uh, Kai Kamara really like would have been perfect as a backup um, or someone lesser than him that has a similar style of play would be really cool. Um, so if I want to venture into that world of negativity, part of the uh, – uh, the stuff we're fighting against right now, um, that's par probably what I would say. But, you know, that's leaving those... behind everything you said, which is true. Like, overall, we're doing so good. We should be happy to get into the playoffs. 
this yeah. is before our next adjustment that kind of stuff is more where i where i live mentally remember those io akinola rumors before the season started dude i think of so many rumors Shinishiki, we talked about that. Are you on Twitter? It was mentioned. Oh. <laughs> I wanted not it. to go on, not to go on too much of a tangent, but like when we're talking about uh, bringing players in and our our organization's ability to scout players and understand who would work and who won't. I know Andre Shinishiki is my go-to of why our organization can be trusted. Yeah, because we had him on so many sheets of you got to pick him in the expansion draft. He's, he's left exposed and he's, he would be such an asset and he would be great in, uh, in our attack and hearing from Lutz after the expansion draft that all of the off the field stuff, all of the intangibles that would have made him a, a cancer for lack of a better term in mm-hmm. our locker room. And, and nobody was talking about it at the time, but they knew it. And that, and they didn't want to take the chance that the on field talent outweighed or superseded that it wasn't worth it to them Mm. like that that sells me on their philosophy and mindset in signing players so whoever we end up bringing in because we will bring in people in the summer yeah i i trust that it will work just like when we signed a klaus or leuven or uh or selmer pedro or any of those guys early and we're like this is our dp i've never heard of this guy like what are you doing yep and you and you see it work out so you know they've earned that kind of trust um one thing i will say though is i I do want to dig into the create creativity portion of daniel's question in um in some of the stats for our our individual players so if you're looking at key passes that which are passes that lead directly to a shot edu leuven and nico joachini our tops in our team, 16 and 14 respectively. So you're seeing, you're seeing Nico Joachini be a facilitator in in some whether it's Klaus because this does take into consideration the entire season, mm-hmm. or or anybody else. Klaus is is fourth with eight of those key passes. Indiana Vasilev has nine. So there's a lot of our upfront players playing off of each other in in facilitating a pass that leads directly to a shot. The more interesting stats to me, though, passes into the final third and passes into the penalty area, because this is where you really get into. It might not lead into a shot, but you're like I said earlier, you're you have the ball in some dangerous areas or you're putting the ball into dangerous areas. And the leaders in our team for passes into the final third are Eddie Leuven, Indiana Vasilev, Jake Nerwinski, Johnny Nelson, Mm -hmm. 55, 30, 26, 18. You're seeing where our balls come from when when we're trying to create chances. They're coming from our fullbacks. They're coming from our central midfield, and and they're coming in bulk like that. The it falls off pretty drastically. You know, Leuven and Vasilev have probably two thirds combined for our team uh, balls played in the final third. It's it's wild, and then passes into the penalty area. So this is where you really get into those dangerous passes. Edu Leuven again leads the team with twelve. But then you have Jake Derwinski and Jared Stroud with nine each. Hmm. Those are the crosses, right? So those are those are who's playing the ball well via crosses. And you saw it against Chicago in the first game. Jared Stroud had a few really good crosses there from the right side. Jake Derwinski as well is a good facilitator of that. Um, I I think that these stats in general tell you where our creativity is coming from, whether it's good or bad. Edward Lu- Ed- Edu Leuven is the overwhelming uh playmaker he's the overwhelming person who's delivering all these chances but 
you see our system really shine in our two fullbacks, our other central midfielder, putting the ball into the final third consistently. And I, you wouldn't expect your attackers to put the ball into the final third. You'd expect your attackers to be in the final third. Hmm. And so in some ways, these numbers are obvious, but the volume in which they occur is where the problem is. Well, and let's right? give, let's give a visual too, because when we talk about Leuven and Vasilev sending the ball into the final third, that's almost always them receiving the ball in the midfield, usually yep. a little bit to the side, and then sending a cross ball to usually a fullback, sometimes a winger if it's Stroud or Alm or something, yep. and then the cross in. Right, that's like our system of play, and especially yep. Vasilev, to that's what he looks for first. Uh, Leuven will sometimes uh, put in other different passes and stuff like that. So anyway, you know, I just wanted to give a visual for what you're saying. That's exactly what we see, and why those specific players are are good at, at those those statistical, you know, things. Right, it makes sense. Right. Yeah. But here's the problem. The style of play that we have is very direct. We've talked about this. We have very few passes per sequence. So when we when we look to make these passes, these are the primary passes that we use and they're going to happen um they're going to happen often in an ideal situation where we're we're just sending the ball up very quickly, we're moving the ball up very quickly. But you would expect a decent amount of volume to these types of passes. If you the, one of the constant complaints is that we're not putting the ball into the box to create chances. We're not, we're not making, uh, we're, we're not allowing our attackers to get the ball in good positions. And the volume numbers back that up. St. Louis is in the bottom ten in number of key passes, meaning passes that lead directly to a shot. And so that's still a problem, even in the the vertical offense that we have yeah. in the the pressing system, where if you're not passing to facilitate a shot. It, you're not going to have it's not like we, we have a system where you have a, a high turnover and they immediately take the shot like that doesn't happen in bulk. And so having a low number of key passes is bad. Having a low number of passes into the final third is really bad. And so that's where you were talking, Phil, of you have our fullbacks, you have our central midfielders who are deep and they're playing the ball into our, our final third. We don't carry the ball that much. Mm -mm. There, there's not a whole lot of uh, Indiana Vasilev or Edu Leuven just carrying the ball through the midfield or having a, a number six carry the ball or a fullback. We are dead last in the league in passes into the final third hmm. by a, a significant margin. We only have 247 total passes into the final third. A team like Seattle, remember playing Seattle? Seattle had 418 passes into the final third this year. The the difference is staggering. Chicago has 311, so still significantly more than us. And and especially in the last few games where we have possessed the ball a whole lot more, when you possess the ball and you're not able to pass the ball into the final third, it's it, it, the issue is magnified. So what are you doing with the ball if you're possessing it and not passing it into the final third? The other stat is passes into the penalty area. St. Louis is bottom six in total number of passes into the penalty area tied with Sporting Kansas City of all teams. So this is how many passes you get into the 18-yard box. And there are two. there's two ways in which the ball ends up in the 18-yard box. It's you pass it in there or you play it in there as an individual player. And we've seen a lot of scenarios where we get the ball around the 18-yard box, but the fact that we're not connecting with these crosses in a more significant manner the fact that we're not uh, 
playing the ball into the box, I think is still a problem. And and yeah, a lot of these numbers are low in MLS. The league leader is Vancouver of passes into the penalty area with 125. So it's not like 69 is a massively low number. It's like, I don't know, half of that. Most of the teams hover around 60 or 70. So we're not terribly different, but we're we're still lower on the on the end. These are the definition of chances not being created. And that's where I think we need to do a lot of our work, especially without Klaus, is passing the ball into these areas that will, whether it's in, in and of themselves or one pass later, facilitate a shot. Yeah, and I, I want to use the next question to kind of um, kickstart another response to that exact subject. Joseph says, City has given up some early goals recently. Is there a change the club can make? to start the game with a bang and put the other team on the back foot early. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. So, Matt, I I think all the stats you mentioned, one caveat is that we do rely, like a lot of our playmaking is the high press, right? So we're Mm -hmm. looking for those turnovers high up the field where we can get a turnover, get a pass and get a goal or something, or even just a turnover and a a goal, Um, especially if it's a back pass from a center back. That would be really nice to get again. But um, the good old days. Yeah, the good old days. Right. So I do think that's why we're low in that stat. But, you know, clubs haven't been making as many mistakes. So, you know, the answer to Joseph is, you know, step one would be to just make our press better and just make it so that we can get more turnovers than we've been getting lately and start the game so strong that we get some early goals from turnovers up high. That would be step like phase one, right? The thing that we're, we've been drilling since all preseason, the thing that we're good at, we're supposed to be our bread, our bread and butter. And then if that doesn't work, everything Matt just listed is like, that has to get better. And those are the, in my opinion, those are the uh, metrics that we need to be looking at after training. Like, how can we train to make these metrics improve? What do we do when we're stuck with the ball 50% of the time? You know, like, we got to figure that out. We got to become a possession-based team as a backup plan. I don't know. Is that good or is that bad? I don't know if that's actually step two. Um, maybe that's a good question for the coach because, you know, what happens if the press doesn't work and we get the ball? Do we just try to avoid that or do we make a plan to a failure plan? Basically, I don't know. Yeah, we possessing the ball in and of itself hasn't worked for us. And it seems like it's not working because we're still trying to make them come at us. And so we try to draw them out to the point where we can then beat them quickly, whether it's over the top or with two quick passes up. So it's still it's almost like we're trying to lure them but they're not taking the bait. And and when when that happens, you're still trying to move the ball up quickly except for this time the defense is bunkered low. And so they're they're cutting off the channels, they're cutting off passing lanes. They're putting themselves and this is where it really happens. They're putting themselves into better positions to win these aerial duels. That's a huge problem for us is if we're not winning aerial duels consistently, hmm. then we're not putting ourselves in position to win second chances to move the ball up. Cause that, I think that's probably the linchpin to how we can take a, a possession oriented uh, style and make it work for us is you are, you are so adept at winning aerial duels. You're, you're winning the ball from that. You're getting the ball into a position next to the person who wins the aerial duel 
to where they can then make a run. And so it's it's really counterattacking in the via the air, mm. but it's it's doing so very um, deliberately with with winning these duels. And and if we're not winning the duels, if we're not winning the aerial duels, especially. That's how Chicago scored their first goal. And that's what Portland, Portland was like mind boggling how often they got the second ball ahead of us. I I would say that that game might've even been lost on that stat alone. I I, I mean, that's a bold statement, but oh man, it was hard to watch in that regard. Um, Those are all the questions. Uh, We don't have a ton of time. We don't want to take too much time. Uh, Matt, do you want to kind of hit one or two things before we go? Yeah, the uh, there's there's a couple other things that I had on our team. So a couple keys to the game and players that I wanted to look at is I want to see if Johnny Nelson can continue to get more involved in our attack here. Hmm. I think we are often at our best when he's moving higher up the field. He said that he likes to play. He, he's good at wing back. He's good at fullback, whatever we ask of him. But I think he's really good uh, at being the facilitator to a Nico Giochini. So if if he's more involved, if he's able to move higher up on the field and play off of our midfield on the left side, whether it's Vasilev or Blom or, or Leuven, if he can get up there and we're not sacrificing our defensive structure, we're going to find some success there. Hmm. He, he should have a lot more assists than he does this year, but because MLS doesn't count an assist, if the ball hits the opposing team, he's gotten kind of yeah. the raw end of the deal on that. He, he's as much of anybody as one, th- one person I'm going to be watching for. We saw the, um, I don't want to say lack of effectiveness that Selmer Pedro had because he was good in the moments that he had, but we, he was, we need to say that is that offensively, he actually had several good, good yes. looks in that game. He, he, he was Selmer Pedro offensively did what we saw flashes of last year with yes. city two, where he was, he's so high up on the pitch. He made it to in the opposing end line a couple of times mm-hmm. and, and with success. So he's maneuvering the ball. He's very good with the ball. He's very good at finding space to, to give and go and to do some underlapping runs. But with Johnny Nelson, it's more of he's going to he's going to push himself up, but to an extent, I almost feel like yeah. Selmer Pedro and Aziel Jackson have some similar qualities in their just they're just going to go and and they're not going to stop mm-hmm. until they either run out of bounds or the ball's in the net. But but with Johnny Nelson, it seems a little more deliberate in his like he's almost got a wall in the field where he knows he's not supposed to go too deep like past the 18 yard box almost and and he'll he he gets into good positions there but i want to see him get into more good positions because i don't i don't think uh i don't think chicago is going to defend him well say that um one one of the other things real quick is just the roster considerations so we talked a week or so ago about caden glover and ono malley in particular because they trained with city mm-hmm Caden Glover's been playing pretty regularly with City 2. He played 69 minutes last night. We're, we're recording on Thursday, so he played on Wednesday night against LAFC 2. Played 69 minutes. Ono Malley didn't dress for that game. He didn't make the game day roster. So if anybody is going to be available from City 2, it would be Ono Malley. John Bell did start for City uh, 2 as well. So there, there isn't much that's going to come from there important to remember because of some of the depth considerations with Klaus and Alm and Parker being out, even with Jabulu Blom, you may need to shift an Indian Vasilev up. You may need to keep Jabulu Blom in the midfield 
then that may have some depth concerns with fullback that Owen O'Malley could help out with. Yeah, I was shocked because I thought for sure, based on all the movements, him um, training with the first team, I thought, I mean, it set up perfectly for an open cup start. It would have made sense. You know, I don't understand. I thought he was at least going to sub in, and then we saw Jubilo Blum play right back. I I was a little, I didn't understand it. I thought, let's blood him in the open cup and give him a good chance and then perhaps start him in another game or sub him into another game. I'd like to get him up to speed, I guess. I'd like to have more depth at the right back position. You know what's interesting, though, is our staff has really shown a penchant for playing not everybody out of position, but playing players in different positions in which we think they're best suited for. Mm -hmm. So Bradley Carnell talked today about how Isak Jensen was a more of a second striker against Chicago on Tuesday. And he admitted he was, they played him out of position and because they're trying to get him, they're pushing him, trying to get him to grow in new and different ways. And it also has, yes, a need depth wise on our team. You mentioned that Isak Jensen did this last year for City 2. There was a question by, um, I think it was Daniel Stevis in the the room today about Josh Dolling was suspended for a few games last year. Mm-hmm. We had to play without a legit striker. Mm-hmm. And so how did Carnell handle that? And it, Well, it wasn't Carnell managing, but how did the staff handle that? It wasn't well. We didn't perform well without Dolling last year. Mm-mm. But we did use Isak Jensen up front. And so it, it really struck a, a chord to me that we did the same thing this year. And it didn't have many different uh, results compared to last year. But Owen O'Malley, or rather, Jabulu Blome is similar to me in that regard, where he has history at playing it right back in South Africa. It's where he came up. It's where he played before transitioning to central midfield. But we played him there on his return instead of in the central midfield, almost just out of necessity from our roster construction and need because it was very apparent that Akil Watts wasn't getting the job done. We needed a different look at right back. And Jake Nerwinski wasn't on the game day roster. He wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. And so Jabulu Blom was probably the best right back that we could have called upon in yeah. that sense, as opposed to like a Josh Yarrow who he's played there once, I think, but he doesn't play. He doesn't have the experience that Blom has. So that Jensen, uh, seeing where, what we've done with Vasilev, like there's definitely something to playing players to keep their talent on the field as opposed to where they have history at in their position. And and there's really good, there are really good storylines in the recent past of really quality teams. Some of the best in MLS having the exact same problem. You know, we just saw Talis Magno play like five games for New York city FC as a nine. And it didn't work. Everyone was saying too. everyone was like this. This is not his style. How good is that guy? I mean, I he was up for the MVP last year. He's so talented. We saw Carlos Vela, I think, last season playing the nine for LAFC because they had no other options. And they just kept moving people around trying to figure out how to solve this nine problem. This Talent is a, supersedes all type of a situation. Right. And it's just not true. It's not the right. case. And so, um, yes, Klaus is out. Not only is losing, Stewart said this the last two weeks, not only is it massively difficult to win without your DPs in MLS, um, it's just we've been using that profile of a player, and now we don't have him, and now we got to use a false nine type of situation. We have no choice, and it's just I just gave you two stories of why that's challenging everywhere in MLS. So no wonder we're struggling. You know, is it one thing? I'm not sure it's one thing. Um, 
do we still have to figure it out? Yes. And they've got a really hard road to pave ahead of them um, for that. And maybe Klaus coming back will fix it. I'm not sure it'll fix everything. Uh, but, you know, it's the next step is, is fixing these problems and figuring them out. Yeah, there's there's a, something to be said by the fact that Klaus's injury didn't exactly coincide with our losing skid. So I, I am totally with you that it's going to be great to get Klaus back, but he doesn't change the system that people have figured out. Mm-hmm. Adding Klaus back in the mix doesn't make the blueprint, as Twelman said, any different. Yeah. It just adds better talent to what City has to try to circumvent the blueprint. Mm. If you're really looking for the next evolution of how you can succeed in MLS, you have to, like I've said like at least two or three times tonight, <laughs> you have to figure out the blueprint and you have to beat the blueprint. You can't go back to your old ways and hope that the talent that you have currently is enough to eke something out. You got to figure out ways to win that aren't your tried and true. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, like I said, it's, it's a, it's a tough challenge. They got ahead of them. Um, but you know, we'll see what this is. I mean, this is what we live for. We get to watch the, the tactical struggles and hopefully we get to watch some of the tactical fixes. And, uh, you know, maybe the summer window is, is going to be the thing that fixes it. It could go that long. But, you know, I'm hoping that we, we figure out some things ahead of that. Thank you all for listening. We are Flyover Footy. Thank you for listening to The Wind Down. If you're still here, we enjoy it. Thank you for your questions. We'll be talking to you guys on Tuesday for Flyover Fallout. Matt's got something to say. Go for it. Yeah, no, that's it. Uh, tune in on Tuesday. We'll have the recap for the game. Uh, if if you like what you're hearing, we said it in the first 45, but leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, we, we really appreciate everybody listening. Um, one quick plug, too. Locally in St. Louis, uh, Soccer Master, store that we all know and love. They have a warehouse sale this weekend, and they're, they're kind of having a, a prize for anybody who purchases something at the warehouse sale, a Tim Parker um, autograph memorabilia. So yeah, it's fun stuff happening locally. Uh, good luck to everybody traveling up to Chicago, bring home a win, uh, be safe in your travels, have a good time, uh, be good stewards of St. Louis. Hmm. And we hope to see you on the other side with a win. Well said. Bye everybody. Mm -hmm.